0: Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the
1: world of writing, interviews with top writers and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello
2: everyone and welcome to episode 246 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I am both energized and exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you are. Goodness me. And thanks for squeezing in the time to talk to us this week. I know that you are running around
0: doing 50,000 million Author Talks for Book Week, so, we feel blessed
2: by your presence.
0: <laughs> and I'm also a big shout out to all of my fellow author mates who are also all out there doing exactly the same thing. We have like this massive solidarity group hug thing going yes. to get us all through. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy.
2: All right. So, we want to give a big shout out. Let's move straight into it to Kate from Brunswick. Kate has kindly left us a review on iTunes and entitled it, A Wonderful Resource. Kate says, this podcast is great. Imagine sitting down every week for a coffee and a chat with some friends who just happen to be hugely knowledgeable about everything to do with writing and publishing. And also imagine they also know heaps of amazing authors and they invite them for coffee too. It's that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's us just hanging out with our author friends. Yes, thank you so much, Kate. Really appreciate it. That's really made my day. I like that description. Alright, if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or, or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Thank you, Kate. Let's move on to this week. Goodness me, it's book week. It's like so many things happening. What's, what's been going
0: on? I, I'm, my head is a whirl. Well, speaking of author friends and shout-outs, I mm. would like to give a big shout-out to my very yes. dear friend, Alison Rushby. Um, we've known each other for a really, really long time. We met at a romance writers' conference, um, like, long time ago and Mm -hmm. uh, we have had the most hilarious and supportive writerly friendship ever since but Al Rushby has won the Davitt Award for children's fiction for her novel The Turnkey and I could not be more excited for her because she's she's one of the hardest working authors I know. She's in there, she's writing all the time, she's absolutely amazing and her children's fiction is incredible and she has a, a new book out in that sort of similar uh, vein, called the Mulberry Tree, um, mm. and she's just she's absolutely rocking it. It's brilliant. The Turnkey's come out in the US, um, it's, and now it's won the won the uh, David Award, which of course is for for crime writing. And yes. um, and so I'm really proud. And Al is also one of the moderators. She's very very useful and helpful to me because we um, she helps me to moderate the Your Kids Next Read yes. Facebook group, which of course. Well, we've now got about, oh, we're closing in on, I don't know, maybe 4,700 members or something. Um, wow. And it's full of people. Um, it's full of parents and librarians and teachers and booksellers and authors. Um, and they are all these amazing people there who are there to help you to, you know, choose the next book for your kid, whichever kid that may be. Um, and I run the group, my fellow ad- admin is Megan Daly, of course, the fantastic, Teacher, librarian, slash blogger from Children's Books Daily. And the three of us together are wrangling this massive community. So big shout out to Al, big shout out to Megan, and, you know, and to everyone in that group who is so interested and invested in just getting the right book into, you know, a kid's hands. It's brilliant. But- and how do people find that book, that group? Else? Oh, if you have a look on Facebook, if you if you search for your kids next read on Facebook, you'll find it there. Um, there's also some links to it from my website, alisontate.com. Um, but yeah, come join us. It's it's an international group, it's not just Australian. We've got a whole um whole range of people in there and there's there's so much useful advice. It's a brilliant, brilliant place. So please come and say hello. But um, there's we've got more news from the David Awards. Vow. Yes,
2: absolutely. Now, a couple of weeks ago in episode 243, we spoke to Gabriela Koslovich uh, about her book, Whitely on Trial, and she won the Davitt Award for nonfiction, uh, mm. but also super, super exciting, AWC graduate, Sarah Bailey. Ooh. won for best uh debut novel at the Davitt Awards for The Dark Lake which was compelling it was a page turner and so yep. big congratulations to Sarah Bailey she did uh, the creative writing course you know she and she works full time or and, mm. and 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 writes on the side and her second book uh Into the Night has recently been released and it's the it's a follow on from The Dark Lake but I'm pretty sure you can read it as a standalone as well. Um, So well done, Sarah.
0: That's just awesome. Well done to all the award winners there, but particularly to to our people. Yes, <laughs>
2: because you know we love our people. Our people. <laughs> we Absolutely. love our people, don't we? <laughs> Speaking of our people, oh my goodness, the news just keeps on coming in. Mandy Foote, she recently did um, so she did the writing picture books course at the Australian Writers Centre, and she recently announced her publishing deal with Hachette.
3: So oh. her
2: book, which is called Joey. And Riley, which is uh, about a young boy and his dog, is going to be published next year. And so she's just kicking goals. Uh, So
0: she's an author-illustrator as well, isn't she? Yes. So talented. uh, I'm I'm in awe of that. People who can draw as well as write. I know. I know. (laughs) I know.
2: So uh, if you want to read more about her success, we'll put the link in the show notes and there's a post about it on the Australian Writers' Centre blog. But, of course, you can find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobearwriters.com.au. Now, uh, in addition to Mandy, it's it's, seriously, it's
0: like the good news keeps on coming. Well, it is Um, book week.
2: It is book week.
0: week. It is. So So we need to celebrate all of these amazing children's books amazing children's book moments so yep so tell us about the next one
2: well, uh, also a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre, Catherine Pelosi, is. Uh, she's just released her second book, Something for Fleur. Now, her first book, you may remember, because we spoke to Catherine about it is was Quark's Academy. And that mm. is a junior fiction novel. Uh, she did the course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, at the Australian Writers' Centre. And um, Something for Fleur is her first picture book. So she is just taking wow. the ball and running with it, and she is really carving out her own niche, her own m- career oh. as a children's author. She's busy doing author talks. She is um, just going so well. So congratulations to Catherine Pelosi as well, and we'll put that link about her in the show notes too. So very, very um, inspiring to see so many graduates uh, you know, doing so well. Yeah, it's brilliant. That's
1: what That's we're here really for, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. We're going to move straight on to our competition this week, which is, this is really cool. I'm really keen to see this movie. Oh, and, of course, my dogs are going crazy. i so excited. Have you heard of this movie, The Book Club? I have not.
0: But your dogs clearly
1: have.
2: They clearly <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'm really keen to this to see this movie. It stars Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candice Bergen, and Mary Steenbergen. And it's called Book
0: Club. Now, how cool is that? Because I mean, are you in a book club? No. I'm not in a have book club. I it? have I have an online like I have an online uh, group. We just talked about your kids' next read, but we also have an I also have an online group called your own next read. And it used to be the Pink Fibro Book Club. You remember I used to run yes, an online yes, book club once a month and stuff. Yeah. Um, so now it's more just a kind of a general recommendation, You know, share the book you loved, and but we're not we don't actually read a book and then discuss it. Um, I'm not, um, and I was a member of a face to face book club like a hundred years ago. But it was more about wine than I it was know. about well, books. Well, it
2: usually is. It usually yeah, is. And right. I think that, because I'm not a member of a book club because I can't sort of seem to, I don't have the time and I don't, uh, can't seem to sustain going to the same thing all the time. But. You've got commitment issues, haven't you? I have commitment issues. But <laughs> I live vicariously through my friends who are in book clubs. Oh. oh seriously. Some it's like a soap opera, some of them.
0: I know. That's why I, I couldn't stand it anymore, though. I couldn't cope. I, I just was like, oh, I can't go. I can't do it. <laughs>
1: it's,
2: I, you know, sometimes I wish I was in a book club so that I could be witnessing all the drama yeah. firsthand instead of hearing about it secondhand. But anyway, this uh, movie, Diane is recently widowed after forty years of marriage. Vivian enjoys her men with no strings attached. Sharon is still working through a decades-old divorce. Carol's marriage is in a slump after 35 years. Four lifelong friends' lives are turned upside down to hilarious ends when their book club tackles the infamous Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs>
2: From discovering new romance to rekindling old flames, they inspire each other to make their next chapter the best chapter. I mean, seriously, you could not ask for better product placement of your book, right? Right. In Lovely. a the subject of a whole movie. <laughs> no,
1: it's extraordinary.
2: It is extraordinary. So uh, I'm actually quite keen to see this movie. So um, I will report
0: back once I do. All right, you do that. I think it's an interesting thing too. Like to me, um, the you know, like 20 years ago, you wouldn't have seen a movie like this with four actresses of this age in it. Yes, that's and I it. think it's really interesting that we are seeing so many uh movies you know reflecting older people and older lives and, and all of that sort of stuff and i was talking to a friend of a filmmaking friend of mine about this the other day and we were you know working through the the logistics of of, of a project that that he's doing but it, i'm it's because the boomers got old isn't it and yeah. so then being old is now cool it's okay to be old now is that what it is like i i was trying to um, and also if you're a boomer and you're listening you're not old at all that's not what i'm saying <laughs> but generationally that generation has been the generation that has trailblazed change across yes. a whole range of different social areas. And so, you know, I, I think the fact that we're seeing this reflected in in the movies that are coming out is, is yeah. quite interesting. Do you – am I making this up? You're not
2: anyway? making this up. This is definitely a trend and, in fact, it's not just the movies, it's in books because podcast listener Joanna Nell, her book is coming out I think around October. Oh yes it is it's, I've just
0: read it I've got a I've got oh, an advanced read reading copy
2: Fantastic So yeah. it's the single ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village and that is you know set around a retirement village so they are it's all It's very all funny people.
0: It's actually very funny
2: I've just it's, got my copy too I can't wait Yeah to read
0: it. No it's actually very funny I was reading through it and um, the voice uh, the narrative voice is is very funny well, I think we'll she's see. done a really, really
2: good job. Yeah. Nearer to the book's release, we'll have a chat to Joanna. But um, mm-hmm. back to the book club. If anyway, you where were we? If <laughs> you 10 double passes to win to book club, then just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Entries close the 27th of August. Uh, but if you're listening to the podcast in the future, don't worry, there'll be another competition there for you to enter. So writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now... Ow!
0: Are you ready for the word of the week?
2: You don't I, have to think about it, you know.
0: <laughs> I sort of do <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes I have to actually physically brace myself for oh. the word of the week, and, and this could be one of those weeks. No, I'm so ready. Hit me. Okay, let's do it. Have
2: you heard of this word? Fugacious. That's f-u-g-a-c-i-o-u-s. Fugacious. No. Okay, this is a really interesting word because it comes from the Latin word fugit, F-U-G-I-T, fugit. Now, if anyone's trying to correct me to tell me it's fugit, that's not what I was taught and I was in Latin reading competitions
0: at school. Don't correct Val's Latin, okay? (laughs) Otherwise it's like, you know, it's dictionaries at 50 paces if you
1: (laughs) correct the Latin. Don't do it. So
2: comes from the Latin fugit, which means time, because you've all heard of tempus fugit. Some people say tempus fugit, but it's tempus fugit, um, so, which means time flies. Hmm. And uh, this means transitory or temporary. And in a botanical context, it means falling or fading early, so like when the leaves fall early. So you might say when she refers to the fugacious nature of life, She's basically saying that life is short. Hmm.
1: There you go. Fugacious. Lovely. Uh A bit of Latin.
2: I do love a bit of Latin in the morning. That's
1: excellent.
0: Me too.
2: (laughs) All right. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week, Al.
0: Oh, well, because it's book week and because that's what we're doing, um, our our writer in residence this week is Tim Harris, who is the author of several books, but the one that I think has really um, taken his career to a new level is Mr. Bambuckle's Buckle's Remarkables. Um, and Tim was at the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival a few weeks ago, and so while he was there I corralled him and told him that he had to do an interview. And so he did. God love him. And um, we had a bit of a chat about children's fiction. He used to be a teacher. Um, we talked about that. And the other thing that we talked about, which uh, might interest some of you who are writing children's fiction, is the fact that he – is really, really – has very quickly got a great reputation for doing terrific school visits, which is another reason why this is perfect for Book Week. Um, And we had a little talk about that as well. So I hope you guys enjoy Tim Harris is a former primary school teacher and now children's author. His first series of books, Exploding Endings, is hugely popular, and the first book in the series, Painted Dogs and Doomcakes, Cakes, was awarded Honour Book at the 2017 Koalas, but it's his second series, Mr. Bam Buckles Remarkables, which has really taken off. The first book was awarded a CBCA Notable in 2018 and has been shortlisted for the 2018 real awards he's in hot demand in schools for author visits and workshops and worked in more than a hundred schools over the last year so welcome to the program Tim
3: thank you so much for having me Alison
0: always a pleasure now we're going to go all the way back to the beginning how did the first exploding endings come to be published
3: right back to the beginning Um, well as a primary school teacher Uh, I spent a lot of time reading stories to my classes and in particular Paul Jennings who's um, a very very well-loved Australian author of short stories and it got to a point uh, later in my teaching career, about 10 years into the teaching career, that I could almost recite some of his stories word for word and um, I think I was getting a bit uh, familiar with the, the structure of the short story so I decided to write a story for a class I was teaching. Uh, and the most incredible thing happened. I, I, I'll never forget it because I was so nervous, you know, reading this story to the. It was a bunch of Year One boys, and I even folded up the story uh, and and put it inside a Paul Jennings, survey, so they, so they, you know, wouldn't know that I, I wrote it. Uh, and anyway, I read the story, and you know, uh, the book was shaking, and you know, my voice was very quivery, but got through it, and, and had fun. But then I received um, an email from one of the parents of the boys in the class and she said, um, Dear Mr. Harris, uh, what was the name of the story that you read the class today? Because my son can't stop talking about it. And I was pretty chuffed with that. And anyway, so I wrote back to her and I said, thank you for your feedback. Uh, I wrote the story um, and she said, you know, do you mind if you send it through so he can read it again? So I, I shot it off in email uh, then I received an email from her again uh, a week or two later, and she said, "Dear Mr. Harris, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of what I do, but I've um, got a masters in children's literature, and I'm involved in the Children's Book Council of Australia. And this is a very good short story. <laughs> it was just the most amazing thing. And um, so she, she, this uh, her name was Rachel, and she was so supportive. And she actually came in after school and helped me workshop." story ideas to, to kind of get me started. But it gave me a taste um, of, of writing and I um, haven't looked back since then. That's amazing.
0: Like That's just one of those stories that, you know, that doesn't happen, right? But there it is, it's happened.
3: No, it, it, it absolutely doesn't, yeah. And with the third exploding Endings, I actually decided to, uh, to dedicate it to Rachel because without, I always say to her, without that one email... Uh, I don't think it ever would have happened because it was sort of a uh, you know a one-off exercise at the time.
0: So you weren't so okay. That was a question I was going to ask you a bit later, but we'll ask we'll go there now. Were you, so you weren't writing at the time? It was just like oh I'm going to have a go and see if I can do this. You hadn't sort of been faffing about with story ideas or anything up until that point.
3: No, not at all. In fact, my writing had sort of been um, purely songwriting and that that was a creative outlet. But just before our first child was born, um I had to, had to give that music stand away because it was just the late nights where it would have killed me with a newborn. Um, and so then um yeah, so that first sort of was experimented on the class after that I actually had a go at writing um, a much more serious book a young adult science fiction book and I got 40,000 words in and just it was doing my head in so I actually ripped it up and threw it away and, and then went back to writing uh, humorous short stories for the primary age um, when I say ripped it up you know, it's in the uh, I've <laughs> deleted in the, in the inbox. So I think if, I'm sure it's there somewhere. I could probably dig it out one day, but I'm a bit too scared to.
0: <laughs> to see what happened. So you had been writing songs though up until that point of the first story.
3: Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you think that sort of had like, given that you write short stories for the most part, do you think that that had any? Um, do you think the songwriting craft assisted with any
1: of that?
3: Quite, I think it potentially gave me the the discipline to, to see a story through because um, with songs I was always a music first type of guy and then the lyrics came um, second and I struggled often with lyrics um, and, and you know and it ended up sort of learning that discipline to at least finish it so don't there's a complete song uh, and and that skill was definitely used for short stories as well that. Seeing it through to the end, that self-discipline, this has to get finished. So that's probably all I took from it because my songs weren't narrative-based. They were more conceptual. uh, And so I don't think there was much of a story influence that that went through um, when I started writing for kids.
0: Okay. So when you started putting the short stories together for that first exploding endings book, you were working full-time as a teacher. Um, You have a young family of three kids. You know, how did you fit the writing in for those first books? Like when you were producing um, a whole bunch of short stories at at, at
3: a time. Yeah, it's you know, it's amazing. And I've heard some authors say this on the podcast before that if you give up television, it's amazing <laughs> what you can get done. <laughs> and That's look, so I do. Terrible. I love my. I love a bit of television, and I'm a bit of a sucker for live sport. That's sort of my downfall. Um, but I did. I I gave up television. Um, To free up a bit of extra time, uh, when it, when it, when I was first going, because school teaching, it can be a very intensive job after hours, there's Mm. a lot of paperwork, Mm. and so, um, I just thought, yeah, that sort of passion to, and drive to see stories finished, I thought, well, something has to give, and obviously I can't drop the ball teaching, uh, so, reality television. Well, I'm a child. I haven't looked back since reality television <laughs> dropped because there is some rubbish on TV <laughs> Oh no,
0: really? Oh, you don't say. Um, okay. <laughs> so did you put together a whole book of short stories and then submit that to a publisher as a as a concept? Or did you sort of sell the idea before you wrote like how did the actual publishing of those books come together? Because they're an unusual for like the short story format is um, of kids' books is obviously like there's there's a, quite a few of them out there, but I think a lot of people would struggle with the idea of how to actually present that to a publisher, like this is what I'm going to do.
3: Yeah, definitely. It was hard because um, I was listening to, to your podcast and another podcast and hearing that short stories, there wasn't a huge demand for them. Um, and I was checking on publishers' websites and they'd say things like, you know, this this month breakfast being young adult or whatever but they would often have a little call that said, strictly no short stories. Oh. Um, so the idea of packaging them to publishers was quite daunting and I did I did send off a snippet of one story to um hang on Random House and I didn't hear anything from them and ironically now they actually publish Mr. Danbuckle's Remarkable so it's kind of cool that, that I ended up being able to publish something with them mm. um, so I decided to self-publish and that was based on uh, some of the students at school were really encouraging me of me and uh, Rachel was as well and she kept saying oh, how, what are you up to with your stories and have you thought about putting them together uh, in that Paul Jennings kind of style because in the uh, 80s and 90s his books were so popular, and they mm. they were the exact format that I was going for. Those, um, you know, self-contained short stories. Um, so yes, yeah, so in the end, I decided to self-publish and bypass traditional. Until Facebook can be a great thing. Until my stepmom, uh, uh, I think she might have tagged me in a post um, with a, a smaller publisher um, based on the South Coast, and I thought, oh, okay, I, I hadn't sort of really done too much research with the smaller publishers, just the big ones. So I clicked on the website and uh, it was Harbour Publishing and it just looked like a really a well-run publishing business that was family owned. Uh, it looked like great people were involved and, I, and it was a very inspired submission actually because it was, I think it was about 10 o'clock at night when I was going through Facebook and looking on their website and I should have I been in bed but I actually stayed up quite late until about I think, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning um writing this very inspired cover letter and uh and editing a snippet to send off to them. Uh anyway, so I I sent it off that night um and then a few months later received a phone call and they said, um, we like the, the story and we'd like to publish um a collection of short stories with exploding endings and that's how uh, that series was published.
0: How exciting. Um and so of course you were at that point dancing in your pyjamas, weren't you?
3: Absolutely, yeah, it was actually, it was funny, it was uh, New Year's Eve when I found out about 5pm, and so, you know, you're in good good spirits anyway, but that was such a great way to bring in the new year, knowing that the following year um, I'd have a book on the shelf. That that's was very exciting. exciting. That's the one
0: New Year's Eve that's not a letdown, right? That's not anticlimactic.
3: <laughs> that's right, yeah. I don't, I don't even think I lasted until midnight. <laughs> you know, you, you stay with the kids and watch the nine o'clock fireworks and then you just shattered. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's pretty much our mind roll as well. Um, now, so ex- exploding endings are very popular, remain very popular. Like There's box sets of them out there and all sorts of things going on, but I think it's probably fair to say that it's Mr. Bambuckle and his Remarkables that really made your career explode last year because you really were just all of a sudden there you were. Um, so when did you have yeah. the idea for for Mr. Bambuckle?
3: Yeah, it was um, it was very much in collaboration with um, my publisher Zoe Walton at Penguin Random House. She, after exploding any three, came out um, she got in touch to, to see if I had any other ideas for stories, uh, which was another very exciting email mm. to receive um, because Penguin Random House were very much my dream publisher. Uh, so I, I took my ideas book in and, and had a big chat with Zoe and she said, have you ever thought about using your stories to you know, create um, a character-based series as opposed to having them as self-contained Short stories, uh, and I hadn't really thought of that. So I remember driving home and, and thinking, "Yeah, you know, I spent a lot of time in schools, and a lot of kids' books are set in schools, and it's, it's almost, um, yeah, it's a very sort of safe, you know, way to frame a story. But but could I think of a different angle? And uh, and then I suppose I wanted to to write a very happy, positive school story uh, with with a teacher who you know, all the best in all of his students and, and the uniqueness. And that way, the short stories could get involved because they're all these unique little short stories that could be completely separate or, or self-contained. But if you suddenly put them into this classroom um, with this one teacher, then there was the chance for an overarching story line as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so after a bit more brainstorming, they then um, pitched... Um the idea of having Mr Van Buckle the teacher, well I think he was called a different name back then, Mr Sick, I think. Oh. Um actually you know, just Hard on a know. side note it took a whole month to name him because uh we just we just weren't happy with any of the names that I was coming up with and in the end I literally flicked through the dictionary. You can see I got up to B <laughs> <laughs> got up to Buckle. And uh and yeah, anyway, so his name was manufactured at a later point. Uh, yes, but I pitched the idea, um, and Zoe really liked it, and so then we went went from there.
0: So at what point, because you are essentially full-time as an author now, is that right?
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do a bit of, I think with the teaching background, that was very helpful um, because it freed up um, my days by doing after-hours tutoring, and that was a nice thing that worked mm-hmm. out well uh, when I resigned from teaching I wanted to be able to say yes to any school who asked me to visit. I, I didn't want to say no to anything and the only way to do that was to adjust working hours um to right. after school.
1: Yeah. Um
3: yeah, so I still do a little bit of um workshopping um with students and their creative writing but otherwise very much the kind of time
0: Okay. So one of the questions I was going to ask you about that is because I guess, you know, um, as you say, the the, the Mr. Bambuckle series is, is quite classroom-based and um, a lot, obviously all of your short stories are kind of kid-based and stuff. Um, I wonder if you miss, now that you're full-time, do you kind of miss that day-to-day immersion in kid culture because it is strangely um, – when you're part of it, you're hearing the kind of you're hearing the talk all the time, you're seeing what they're talking about, you're seeing what makes them laugh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Do you miss that at all?
3: I, I do, and I miss the relationship part of that because when you, you get to hang out with the same group of kids it's it's really fun and, and those conversations can be built on over a long period of time. Oh. Um, but as opposed to that, uh, I do not miss the the administration, no. the paperwork, <laughs> and the emails and the meetings, <laughs> and that definitely makes up for it. Yeah, so I do miss that uh, interaction, which is why I think I enjoy visiting schools so much. Mm. And you know, and then being—I guess it's like that coal face, isn't it? that coal front of of um, chatting to the children about ideas or test test running ideas, and I know. Um, uh, Tristan Banks is amazing at, at testing brand spanking new ideas out with kids, and I've, I've started trying it just a little bit to see what it's like. And I think there's a great deal that can be learned from um, discussing potential ideas with your audience because mm. you don't get that opportunity many times. And you know, mm. going into schools, it gives you that chance.
0: I know Andy Griffiths, when we interviewed him a 1,000 years ago because his podcast is about a 1,000 years old now, um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure he talked about the same thing, that it was something that he did. I think it takes an enormous amount of courage to kind of take a brand spanking new idea out into the light and just see if kids think it's funny. Like I think that <laughs>
1: takes a huge
3: amount yeah, of courage it does, cause it, that. Some, Yeah, because some things can be – you can be so certain of it in your mind and then, if you if it either could be your execution or the the way you frame it to the kids, but it can fall flat, and it's very demoralising. Uh, it's only happened once where a, a brand new idea kind of fell flat, um, but usually kids are you know they're pretty encouraging. Maybe they're just too polite. I, don't I was going to say,
0: <laughs> but can you tell the difference? Like if they're humouring you as opposed to finding it actually funny. <laughs>
3: Yeah, look. I think deep down you certainly can. Yeah.
0: <laughs> look at that old guy trying to be amusing. Let's just
3: make yeah, it half yeah.
0: polite, shall we?
3: <laughs> yeah. That idea sucks. That's never going to be a story. <laughs> there should be maybe there should be kids working in in a slush pile and publishing.
0: Oh, I think they. Should. I actually think they should because that's the thing with them, isn't it? You really know. Like even if you like, I, I, don't, I don't sort of tend to test ideas, but every once in a while I'll pull out a joke. And, you know, it'll be something that works really well at 98, you know, as part of a presentation at 98% of schools.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and
0: then you'll stand in front of one group that just looks at you as if you've grown two heads and you're like, okay, <laughs> moving right along. <laughs>
3: Yeah oh, that, That's right, and, it can, and then you know, then you get a bit anxious for the next few, but of course they will go back to that being yeah, the majority and exactly. make you feel better about yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: This is clearly it was them, not you. So um, now you mentioned <laughs> yeah. your ideas book, and I've seen it because you brought it along to the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival, um, and it's kind of a work of art. Like you've got photos and images and notes, and it's very comprehensive. Is, is that something that you've always done as a writer or is, has that evolved over time?
3: Uh, it, it is something that I've done. and Oh, I think it was um, – oh, no, I can't remember the, the name. But it was an illustrator came um, and visited one of the schools I was teaching at quite early on. It's something that, that, that stuck with me, even though the illustrator's name hasn't. <laughs> but he had an ideas book and it was this beautifully presented. Uh, of course, it was filled with illustrations and things, but I love that idea of having – uh, a, I guess, I'll call it a neat and tidy, you know, well kept notebook, um, with your, your treasures inside or your best ideas. And so, um, very early on I started keeping that and because I can't draw and I'm just not at all artistic, well, <laughs> the best way around that is to, uh, print photos, concept photos for stories and, and stick them in and, and, you know, do my best to make it look nice and, you know, put a bit of value on those ideas. Um early on, Almost every idea went in, but now um, I've got more of a post-it note system where I'll jot down a new idea on a post-it note, and if I still think it has legs a week or a month later, then I'll give it a, a proper page oh. with some concept photos and and, and more notes. So, and it so that page-worthy. way, the book has become yeah, that's right, page really and it becomes mm. a very trusted source of ideas. So if ever I'm looking for something, then I'll go to that book, knowing that that's where the best ideas are, um, instead of Looking through pages and pages and pages and, you know, not sure what I'll find. Uh, so yes, so I haven't used it for a little while. Before. I'm working on a new series at the moment, but I've decided to give the new series its, um, its own ideas book. So every idea that I think will be used in this series goes into that separate mm-hmm. ideas book. Um, but it's very messy at the moment. you want to show anyone. <laughs> you might have
0: to rewrite the whole ideas book at the end just to make it look nice, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah.
0: All right. So um, now the promotion side of being an author is something that can come as a bit of a shock to to authors. Is it something that you find – does it come naturally to you? Like are you, are you happy to be sort of out there hustling your books, so to speak?
3: Yeah, I'm very happy um, to be out there and, and that's because having that background in teaching – Um, made the number one place to promote books, which is schools, uh, not too daunting. Mm. Uh, and it's still, you know, if there's a big festival or something, I'll still, I'll get a little bit of nervous energy and excitement beforehand, but generally for a a typical school visit, um, I absolutely love it, and, um, it's not, yeah, not too intimidating. I think some things that I do find a bit intimidating since, um, certainly since Mr. Van Buckle was released are the, Uh, like a very small, intimate bookshop gathering. Uh, I'd I'd actually prefer to have three or 400 (laughs) kids there instead of um, 10 or 12. (laughs) I don't know why. Maybe it's a claustrophobia thing. I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, But I find those really small ones. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it, that intensity and um, everything's so close and it's so, I don't know, I feel like you're being watched. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, I find those ones a lot harder than the big ones. Yeah, look, you are, you are, that's right. Um, yeah, and I think another thing, like like most things in life, with practice, it does become a lot easier. And uh, I think the more, the more I've done uh, different events in schools or festivals or these little workshop events, um, you feel more and more, I guess, confident in the way you can approach them. And, and like you were saying, you know, dipping into those tool bags or those go-to jokes or lines or things that you can talk about um, because the more you do it, of course, then the more you can draw on different things.
0: Do you do you just do yeah. the same presentation at every school, or do you have a range of different presentations and workshops that you do?
3: I definitely have a range because uh, one, one thing that I think this is, would be a bit of advice I'd give to authors who are just beginning to promote is check to see what each school wants. Uh, I think it might have been Deborah that said that in an interview with you as well. Just mm. to make sure that you're going to, you know, cover I guess their expected outcomes. Mm-hmm. So if a school says we're happy for you just to present, then I'll sort of it, it, it's like a little a greatest hits. <laughs> yeah. The Tim Harris greatest hits comes out, and it's all those go-to things that we were talking about. Um, and that's you know that's a very comfortable presentation. But if if a school wants a workshop, and you know they're working on dialogue with their students. Um, then I'll either have to go through all the workshops I've done and pull those bits out or create something from scratch to kind mm. of tailor it. Um, and it can be a lot of hard work beforehand. You know, um, I think people often think it's just those three times one hour sessions or whatever it is that you're doing. They think that's the only work involved. But of course there is a lot of um, preparation and research that goes into it beforehand. Mm. Um, and so I think early on, my first probably 15 to 20 school visits, I spent hours and hours and hours uh, creating all these different PowerPoints. But now that hard work's paid off because I can dip back into them when I need um, and creating things, things from scratch isn't, uh, isn't as time-consuming.
0: No, that's and that's the interesting thing too because I remember when I was starting out, I had a presentation that I did and that was fine. Um, and then I would I, I got a regular booking where I was going back to the same school like once a year basically. And every time yeah. I went back, we discussed what they were doing and I would create a new workshop. And so I ended up with these three or four terrific workshops that I'd created from scratch for this one school for this one day's visit. But then I've been able to wheel those out at, you know, countless other schools ever since. So I think it's sometimes worth really thinking about how you're going to – what kinds of things schools are going to ask for over and over – and, you know, have a workshop on plotting, have a workshop on this, have a workshop on that. And then you're ready, you know, that's that's then tailored back to your books as well. And then you're kind of ready to go no matter what, you know, you can say to them, well, I have these five workshops. This is what I do. Which one do you want? And then it's quite yeah. easy all around. Do you agree with that?
3: Yeah, no, I do definitely agree with that. And um, I know some agencies as well on their website, they'll have what you do, um, you know, three or four different workshops that have been... You know, pre-discussed or pre-arranged with yep. the author, and so that makes it very easy as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's, you know, you're just running around in circles trying to, you know, create things from scratch every single time. Yeah, that's right.
1: Do you spend
0: much time online as far as like doing sort of social media sort of promotion and that sort of thing?
3: I Look, I probably spend a bit too much time, <laughs> time online. It's, it's such a, it's such a time killer. Um, but I really, yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit better at managing it because um, I also enjoy seeing what other people are doing and, and that's where I've drawn a lot of inspiration for how I've done um, my school visits um, is through, you know, watching other people's photos or videos and, you know, picking up things here and there. So I spend probably uh, about 40% of the time would be on Instagram, I think, and then the other, oh, actually probably 40 on Facebook as well or Twitter is. The least I use, mm. just because I'm not a confident Twitter user. Mm. Um, yeah, and just it might be taking a photo of a school visit, or if I'm working in the office, um, just a little uh, update or tip, or retweeting someone else's tip or article or blog. Um, so that's probably how I, I would spend most of my time online. Uh, and then, of course, there are cat videos and fail <laughs> videos and cricket inflations. <laughs> How chocolate is made, and all these things that you suddenly go, "Oh, I could have written six hundred words in that time."
1: <laughs> but you just put it in the ideas. <laughs> now better go and write those
3: words. it <laughs> <Ballet laughs> <Yes>. inspiration. <laughs> um, That's right.
0: Now let's talk about your hat because I'm pretty sure it's really funny. Because I was at the um, at the Narrow Library the other day before the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival, and I said, "Has anyone seen Tim yep. Harris?" And they said, "Is he the guy in the hat?" <laughs> I suddenly realised I've never seen you without your hat. So is that a is, is your signature hat a deliberate move or do you just simply never travel without a hat ever?
3: <laughs> do you know it, it actually was a deliberate move. Back in the music days I, I kind of had long not long, long hair, but um sort of over the a little bit over the eyes and a little bit long at the back. Uh, type type of look and that was, you know, that was the music look and in the album photos and all that kind of thing. And then on um, on our honeymoon my wife bought me this this really great black hat and it was so comfortable and because it was a very sentimental thing, you know, bought on a honeymoon, I kind of wore it um, in my last few gigs as a musician. And then when I first started visiting schools um, and also because at the same time, you know, when I was first visiting schools, I was doing a, a lot of research about, you know, what other authors are doing, how can you sort of set yourself apart, I suppose, and, you know, to be frank, it, there's a lot of branding involved, you know, um, because you kind of have to just you know, brand yourself, and so I did make a very conscious decision that, you know, I'm just I'm going to wear a hat, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, and so, yes, yeah, and so then, you know, suddenly the next thing, you know, getting these author photos taken, and I think, oh, actually, well, I better wear the hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I've been thinking about for my next series, uh, which will come out uh about this time next year, I'm thinking about potentially a, a bit of a rebranding, Paris, but I don't know. I've got no idea what that involves. Will
0: it be a new hat, um, or will it?
3: But be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but maybe not with a hat. So, <laughs> so
1: yeah,
3: and uh, there's another children's author in Australia, and she wears red every time she visits. Does a public um, appearance, she will an article of her clothing uh, will be red. Uh, there are other authors that that have different different hats as well, and um, some have the same sort of shirt that they wear. So yeah, it's very yeah. interesting seeing what people do, but it gives them gives them, them a bit of. A recognizable look. Yeah. I just wear
0: my hair. I I think that's what I do. I'm just thinking about it and I'm like, what would my branding thing be? And I think I'm basically just that redhead one. But then Jen (laughs) Storer also has the frizzy red hair. So I don't know. Maybe I need to reassess. Maybe I need a look.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, what know. maybe that maybe there's a collaboration calling, <laughs> maybe Alison and Jen. Maybe but, there
0: is crazy <laughs> weird heads. It could be good actually. Um, <laughs> now you mentioned a new series. I know you have a new Mister Bambuckle book out like any minute now. When is that? Two weeks, three weeks? Yeah. September?
3: Yeah. Yeah, about two and a half weeks away.
0: Okay, so um, September for the third, it's the third book in the series. Am I right, Mister? What's it called?
3: Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, it's called Mr. Van Buckle's Remarkables Go Wild. And in this um, uh, episode in the series, uh, the classroom is no longer the setting and it's the campsite. So it's, um, it's opened up a whole lot of opportunities for different stories and I'm really looking forward to uh, getting it into the hands of readers.
0: Fantastic. And so what's next year's series? Are you able to talk about that yet or is that under wraps?
3: Uh, no, I think I, I can. Um, so Mr. Van Buckle... Remarkables number four, um, is almost completely finished. I'm working on the copy edit at the moment, the back end of the copy edit. And so that will, um, those pages will be ready to to proofread in a couple of months. So that's almost finished and that will be out early next year. Mm. And then I've just signed a a new three book deal with Penguin Random House for the next series, um, which is, without giving too much away, it's, it's a bit of a nod to all the dreamers, and uh, on the back of my year 12 jersey in high school, I had uh, Dreamer uh, oh. written across in big white letters, you know, how everyone chooses, you know, the nickname or whatever. Yeah. And that was because I just looking out the window thinking, and also it's a great song by to train, my favourite <laughs> artist. Uh, so that, that fitted nicely. And so it's a nod to all these dreamers, it's about this. This 10-year-old boy, his name is Chegwin Toffle and he's an absolute daydreamer who's always, unfortunately, getting himself into trouble um, because he's lost in his thoughts um, and people don't, you know, think very highly of him. They think he's not clever or whatnot, but he's actually quite clever. Anyway, he out of the blue, he inherits um, a hotel. And so his, he, and the clause in the inheritance is that whoever, um, takes this on, has, has to live on site and run the hotel, and right. so suddenly you've got this ten-year-old dreamer in charge of this massive hotel, and any problem that comes along, he'll solve it in his very unique, dreamy, you know, outside the box kind of way. So I'm super excited about this series, and uh, yeah, into the first draft, of the first book at the moment.
0: What fun! All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. If you'd like to see more about Tim's books or his journey or see what he's got coming up next year, visit timharrisbooks.com.au. You'll find the link in the show notes. And um, best of luck with the new Mr. Bambuckle.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
2: Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor, giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscenter.com.au slash creative writing. Tim Harris, that is so cool. I love the story he tells about how he read his short story out to the kids and and um, got such a great response from from one of the parents. And it goes to show you you just have to get your stuff out there. People aren't going to discover you if you are going to hide under a rock, right?
0: No, that's right. And, I mean, that was quite a serendipitous beginning. I mean, most of us don't read something out to a class and then, you know, mm-hmm. are sent on our way to, to a kind of a publishing future. But um, it is a really good example of how being brave – about yes. things can actually reap rewards and um, and how if you – because as you say, like if you don't submit, if you don't put it out there, it's never going to be discovered. You are never going to be published. You won't publish yes. yourself. The only way to do it is to put it out there and then, you know, a bit like the word of the week, brace yourself for the <laughs> – Prace yourself, people, for the for the response because you know sometimes the response is not brilliant. But at the end of the day, if you don't go through the learning process of actually going through the process, then you you'll never ever you'll never recognise your dream. You'll never realise it because it's it's um it doesn't happen if it's under your bed. It yeah. just won't happen.
2: Absolutely. All right. So I know that you have to head off back to Book Week. So we should wrap up. Where do we find you online now?
0: You will find me at alisontait.com, A-double-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val? You'll find country?
2: me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And please do connect with both of us on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's an awesome group. It's free to join and we'd love to have you in there. So that's So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye.